But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. But now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, an enemy, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. So what does it truly mean to live this Christian life in this real world? Uh, We've explored this Christian life this past summer in the sermons that I've preached throughout the book of Galatians. Uh, If you haven't been there with me uh, uh, on different Saturdays throughout the summer, then feel free to go to the website and check out this series on No Other Life. Well, really, it started with No Other Gospel, and then we learned about No Other Freedom, and then there was No Other Promise, and now tonight we come to understand as baptized people of God, in Christ, there is no other life. In fact, Every time, nearly every time, that is in the New Testament when the word life is used, zoe in Greek, uh, it's talking about life in Christ. The New Testament is painting picture for us of just one way to live. And today I propose to you that, and the Scriptures proclaim it, that when it comes to living the good life, and all of us are always trying to live the good life, aren't we? The Scriptures Get concrete tonight. Paul gets concrete and practical about how to do this in chapter 5. He's painted the picture of what it's not like and what it should be like. And now he's showing us in chapter 5 what it really is like. To help us understand, allow me to paint a picture this evening from another area of life that many of us are familiar with and love, well, probably have a love-hate relationship with, and that is what we eat, or dieting, right? Uh, You know, those age-old questions, are we eating to live or living to eat, right? Uh, Back in 1950, this is what healthy uh, living looked like, this pyramid on the screen before you, this food pyramid, And as we begin to understand what it means to be healthy eaters, that has been transformed, hasn't it? It it now looks more like this. In much the same way of transformation, to use this picture of 
healthy eating, Paul has been trying to help us understand uh, what life under the law looked like and what life under the gospel now looks like. And just as you and I know that there's so much more about just dieting than just trying harder, it has to do with our hearts and it has to do with what we're hungry for, not just in the body, but sometimes in our emotions, right? We eat to satisfy those some days. Well, as God communicated to the Galatians, as God communicates to us through this same word, we discover this evening that Paul is painting a picture of transformation that is different than any of us expected. Sometimes when we go to a diet, uh, we get on board for a certain period of time and forget about the fact that we have to do this for the long haul. You know, we'll, we'll do low carb or keto or, or we'll go fasting, but all those things can only last so long, right? And then when we get started into everyday living, sometimes we fall back into the old ways. Paul is inviting us tonight to not fall back. In fact, he's telling us that God's plan for living is completely different than what we had been expecting. It's an upside-down approach to thinking about life itself. And this upside-down approach that God gives us comes by grace. And this life that we have been talking about comes to us by grace. And I want to say something about this word of grace. And while it's true that we're both simultaneously saint and sinner, there's a, a, a paradox in, in, in living out this promise, this baptismal promise. And that paradox is that when it comes to following Jesus, we can't follow the flesh and the Spirit. In the same way, when you're living out a diet, you can't do both at the same time. You can't be on a diet and not be all at the same time. You've got to get to a place where you can go to daily living. And that's where Paul is leading us. To a daily life of not one or the other, but all wrapped up now in grace in Christ and what it looks like when the rubber meets the road. And so we'll either receive the fruit of our diets, right? Of a high fat, high sugar diet or the fruit of healthy eating and the consequence of that on our bodies. The same is true in our spirit. The same is true in this life in Christ that Paul is paying for us now. We either get the fruit of a, a life lived in the flesh, as he outlines here, or we'll get the fruit of a life lived in the Spirit, as he outlines here. And what he does for us, you might recall, is not, as we learned a few weeks ago, not throw out the law, but understand its right use. As Luther talked about it, that this law is a specialist 
to bring us to Christ. And so we begin to understand how the law, as we've been reading through Galatians, how the law and the gospel work together. And this gospel gives us a new life that truly sets us free. That truly sets us free because this law is not thrown out. It has a special job, and its job is to bring us to Christ, to bring us to the gospel. And having been brought to the gospel, we're now no longer bound by the flesh. We're now bound to the gospel. There are two verbs in this text that I want to point out. Ago and stoiko. Let me tell you what they mean in Greek. The first, ago, is to be led by. And so under the Gospel and the Spirit of God, we are being led by the Spirit, by the power of God's Word to this Gospel. Ago. And then it leads us by being led by the Spirit, by the power of the Gospel, all the way to being in line with it, in line with the Spirit, which produces the fruit, to stoika, which is getting in line. Thinking about kids getting in line on a school day. Getting in line with the Spirit. That's where we're going here as we paint this new picture, this new diet, this new life. And when God does that, when He, when he does the work by the power of the Spirit of the Gospel, He begins chiseling away at us. And as He begins chiseling away at us to, to lead us, to get us in line with the Spirit, we are made together by God's Almighty power, we are made God's masterpiece. And as God's masterpieces, we are led to love. I want to take just a couple more minutes here to talk about these two areas of fruitfulness. Either the fruitfulness of the flesh or the fruitfulness of the Spirit and the contrast that Paul is giving us with this Gospel message is giving us in Galatians. But first I want to talk about the person that God used to write it. In fact, God used the Apostle Paul to write two-thirds of the New Testament for us. And even the Apostle Peter was calling Paul's writings Scripture right there in the first century. And so his testimony is important for us tonight to understand this transformation from the old way of understanding the law to understanding the gospel. Because he's a living example of someone who did it. He was living under the law as a righteous law-following Jew. And then he transformed into a a Christ follower. His testimony is important for us for two reasons. One, to help us see that it's possible. And two, for those of us who are wondering if this Christian thing is for real, if this Christian thing can be trusted, if it's historical, if it's really truly transformational, then Paul's testimony is particularly fascinating. Why? Because he had no motivation to become a Christian in worldly means. If you think about it, he was successful in every way. He was a successful Jew. He was famous, well thought of, well provided for. Everything was going his way. There is no reason on earth for him to become a Christian unless Christ really did show up in his life. 
And if you don't know his story, God showed up on a road to Damascus, a road he was taking to go persecute Christians because he was a righteous Jew and he was going to squash this rebellion. And on his way to squash that rebellion, the Apostle Paul encountered Jesus. He was blinded by light and he heard a voice. And what was amazing is he couldn't see because he was blinded and neither could the fellow travelers with him, but Paul and his fellow travelers all heard this voice. And the voice said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul says, well, who are you, Lord? And he said, it is I, Jesus. And from that point, Paul was made blind and then later, not much long after that, given his sight back and having encountered Jesus, having encountered the gospel, he went from persecuting Christians to being one and to being the chief heralder of the gospel. So much so that God used him to write two-thirds of the New Testament for you and for me. Why would he be transformed into a Christian? Because as a follower of Christ, he lost his financial resources that he'd once had. He lost his prestige among the Jews. And instead of being the persecutor, he, become the, he became the one who was persecuted, ultimately losing his own life in, a, in Rome. There's no other logical explanation to understand Paul's conversion unless it really was Jesus. Because he had every reason to remain the great Jew that he was. And if this murderer can become a follower of Christ. So can you. And so can I. This changed heart reminds us of the transformation that we hear in the Gospels. The transformation that we hear that Paul writes about in this letter to Galatians. From an old life, these two lists of the flesh and the spirit, an old life that is marked by selfish ambition, Commentators will tell us these, these categories of the flesh are, are in four, uh, this list is put into four categories of different types of sin, from, from the types of sin that include sexual immorality, the word in Greek there is pornea, to religious, uh, false religion that we've heard here Paul talk about with no other gospel, to damage of personal relationships and selfishness in there, and then sins of intemperance. That means drunkenness and not being able to contain your anger. And as you begin to paint that list, you might start thinking about yourself and the ways that you fall into those broken categories. But the good news that Paul is reminding us is that we are no longer defined by those categories or held captive by them, even though we might still wrestle with them when we are in Christ. When we die with Christ, we come alive with Him to a new life in the Spirit. Tim Keller famously has said, and you've heard me quote, uh, not our mayor, but Pastor Tim Keller from New York City, he says that the gospel is this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, yet at the very same time we are even more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. This is the movement. 
What fruit does that first list produce? You can probably feel it in your gut. And what fruit does love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control produce? It produces love. It transforms your life and the life of those around you. Friends, it is a fruit. It's the result of being transformed by Christ. It's not your work. It's the fruit. If you think of a tree, as this image on the screen projects, the fruit comes after the soil has been tended, after the roots have gone down, after that tree has grown and it has produced fruit. The production of this fruit is not by your power. It's by the power of the Spirit. Remember those two verbs we started with? Ago and stoiko. Being led by the Spirit and then being put in line with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is doing this work in my life and in yours. Maybe you are battling a fierce battle with this old life of the flesh. My invitation to you this evening is to pursue this Gospel life. Let the Master chisel away at your life and let Him do this good work in you. Meditate on Christ and His Word and let the Gospel transform you and let that produce the fruit that the Spirit wants to be done in your life. Now there's a paradox here to be sure. It is the Spirit's work, but He does invite us to be obedient to it, to step in line as we hear in that second verb. We have to be willing to orientate ourselves towards Jesus and His Spirit and not reject it. But when we do that, God does all the rest. He does the chiseling. And the chiseling is never hard. No, that's not true, is it? Chiseling things out in our lives is hard, just like diets are sometimes hard. Being led by the Spirit, don't believe the lie that it's going to be easy. But the fruit that will be produced by the Spirit in you and in the world around you will be worth it. Like any good diet, don't believe the fast fad commercials. But at the same time, the weight of your sin, listen to this, listen to this promise, the weight of your sin is in Christ no longer on your shoulders, it's on the cross. So now you are truly freed up to truly live with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Friends, meditate on this. You say, I don't know how to meditate on that. Sure you do. My friend Dana Hansen, he's a pastor in Southern California, says, sure you do. Sure you do. Because you know how to worry. And if you know how to worry, if you know how to worry, then you know how to meditate on the Scriptures. You just change the object of your worry to the Word. And just as you worry about the things of this world, transfer that same focus to the Word and let God do the transformation for you. Be led by the Spirit. Be put step in line 
with the Spirit. And when you do, God will be glorified. You will be blessed. And think about it. Think about what it means for your neighbor. God doesn't need these fruits. He's got it himself in abundance. But who needs this fruit? Who needs it? You do. I do. Your neighbor does. And when we live in the Spirit, you are blessed. Your neighbor is blessed. The world is blessed. And God is glorified. May this be so. Not by works that any of us can boast, but by the work of the Spirit. Friends, let this good God, this loving God, do this for you tonight. Meditate on Him and His Word and be transformed to nothing else than a new life in Christ. There is no other life than life in the Spirit. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus.